Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, many thanks to our worship team doing a great job all day today. Hey, let me, we take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Let me, if you're a guest, um, we're not always in t-shirts. We like it when we are, but we're not always in t-shirts. But this is Bring Your Peeps to Peavine Sunday. And, uh, uh, some people call it Palm Sunday. We just chose to rename it something else. And so it, for us, it's a bring your peeps to Peavine. And so we're wearing these uh, t-shirts as a reminder that Easter is the, every Sunday is important, but Easter is the one where most uh, people far from God and not church are most likely to come to church is on Easter. And so we want to be welcome and inviting and do all we can do uh, to uh, invite people to be with us uh, this coming weekend. So that's why we're in these t-shirts. Luke chapter 19. Start a sermon series a few weeks ago called Crossroads. As Jesus was on the road to the cross, we encounter people and stories and events that happen where there are crossroad decisions made. A crossroad decision is a decision that is going to change your life. It may change it for a few years. It may change it for a decade. It may change it for eternity. And we all have these crossroad decisions in our lives. So what we're trying to do is go through and learn from these other people who've already made those decisions. And so I want to preach on this subject today. It is your time. Luke chapter 19. Before I do that, I want to take a test. We're going to take a test this morning. Now, I'm going to throw some songs and some artists up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you if you know this song. Now, no remakes allowed. Like, you're not a rap. If you know it because, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, um, I don't know a lot about current artists. I'm an 80s rock guy, but if Pink covered it, is that a person? If You know, that, we don't care about that. We don't care about that. Do you know the original? All right, so here we go. Uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaoh's Wooly Bully. How many of you know that song? About, about 10% of the congregation, all right? And the reason I ask you that, because it was the number one song in 1965, took the world by storm. And if you don't know Wooly Bully, don't do it now, please, but Google it when you go home. Wooly Bully, take a picture of the screen, you'll get it there. Wooly Bully is a fun song. 1968, the Beatles, Hey Jude. How many of you know the original song? I knew that one would be popular. But now we're getting some deep tracks, as they call them. 1973, Tony Orlando and Don tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. How many of you know that one? Eh, a few more, a few more. I've stumped all the students on this one. My kids don't know who this couple is, and it blows my mind. Um, not Captain and Tadeo, love will keep us together. Yeah, that's good music there. I, I know the words of that song. That's even worse. Um, uh, let me see that again. Let me see. You know that song? So about half. All right. So we're getting there. All right. Um, now this, we're, we're, we're inching up into my generation. Now several people have covered this song since 1983, but you have to know the original song. How many of you know uh, The Police Every Breath You Take? Let me see that one. Yeah. Yeah. I can sing that one backwards, right? Like I got every word to that one. 
That one, most of us did that one. Now I'm going to jump forward a little bit, and I realize there's a little controversy with one, but that, that was the most popular song in 1983, by the way. The most popular song. I was a sophomore uh, uh, in, in, in 1983 in high school, and so, uh, man, it was kind of the stalker song. You know, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. You know, so, uh, <laughs> if you were a stalker, it was like your theme song in 1983. <laughs> not, not that I was, but just, you know. Um, maybe it's... I think it was a freshman in 1983. Uh, I don't think I was born in 1983. I, I'm confused. Uh, 1993, little controversy here, I know. How many of you know Whitney Houston, I will always love you? Everybody. Who originally sang it? I know, man, I'm upsetting people. But, but in 1993, Whitney Houston's version was the number one song in the world. And so I'm going to just jump ahead. This is my last one. How about... Bruno Mars, Uptown Funk. How many of you know that one? Right. You know it, even if you're not raising your hand. You know, you know, you know it. <laughs> Why well, am I asking you those songs? Because what happened is what I thought would happen is that our memories tend to fade. And so a song that in 1965 was rapidly popular, or 1963 or 1975, a song that we thought would be remembered for all of eternity is quickly fading away. Cesar Hidalgo, who is the director of the collective learning group at MIT, noticed this phenomenon and he wanted to trace how long it takes for songs and movies and sports stars and patents and famous people and scientific discoveries. How long does it take those to fade off the scene? And so... They wrote mathematical algorithms to study things like Billboard, Spotify, uh, Wikipedia, and all sorts of other things to figure out how long did something that was popular remain popular, and how long was it before we forgot about it completely? Here's what their formula discovered. That the memory decays, the oral communication of something incredibly popular decays in five to 30 years, even with people, this is depressing, between five and 30 years, somebody's going to quit talking about us. Now, if you're depressed by that, say, oh, yeah. So do something crazy and people remember you for a long time if you do something. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, why is that? Why is it that our memory fades so quickly? The oral communication of our lives will fade away in five to 30 years. Why is that? Listen, it's not all bad. Here's the reason that is. We are not made for this world. We were not made to be remembered in this world. We were not created to be remembered in this world. We are created to leave our mark on eternity. And this world was meant to prepare us for the next. This is our time. This is our, your time to prepare not for to leave a mark here, but to prepare for all of eternity. And I'm telling you, you're going to be a crossroad in your life sometime when you're going to have to decide what world means the most to you. Is it this world that means the most to you, or is it the next world, eternity, that means the most to you? And we see all that unfolding in what we call the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it?
It'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can follow along. Begin in verse number 28. The Bible says, And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away sent, sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse number 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, in this your time, he's saying, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Verse 45, then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And as he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, now just to get, give you a very, very quick rundown on where we are, it, we are six days before the Passover. We are just six days before the start of the crucifixion. And, and it's in this passage in Luke 19 that Jesus is literally on the road to the cross. This passage is the one that starts the journey. We call it the, the triumphal entry. And, and as he was, uh, we see some people who were uh, confronted with the decision. They, well, on the road, we see people who had to make some of these crossroad decisions. And here's what they had to decide. Which life mattered most? Did this life matter most or did the next life matter most? And so when we see their story, we can learn some things we need to learn for them. So let me show you what they are. Here's what we learned from this story. Number one, that when it's your time to give, give. Look, look what the Bible says. It's up on the screen, verse 34. And they said to him, the Lord has need of him. Now let me tell you the story. Jesus is headed uh, uh, on this journey to Jerusalem, and it is a prophecy that has to be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, here it is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. It is a prophecy about the Messiah. It is a prophecy about Jesus. So Jesus knows that prophecy, knows he needs to fulfill it. And so he sends two disciples to find a, to a village to find a donkey that's tied to a tree that has never been ridden. And Jesus said, you're going to go into this village, you're going to find a donkey, and uh, it's going to be tied to a tree, and just go take it. And if somebody says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Say, the Lord has need of it. 
So they went. They did exactly that. They found the donkey where Jesus said it would be. And the owner asked the question, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Now, you don't really get that in this day and age because you think who cares about a donkey, right? But if you went outside after church and somebody was hot wiring your car and, and you said to them, hey, what are you doing about my car? And they said, um, the Lord needs it. You'd be like, uh-uh, I'm not falling for that. I need my car. And so they're hot wiring a donkey, whatever that looks like. And, uh, and somebody comes up and he's like, what are you doing my donkey? And he said, the Lord needs your donkey. And he said, okay. Here's an interesting thing. In verse 33, the word owner, which is the word the Bible uses, is the same word that's used in verse 34, speaking of Jesus, where it says, Lord. It is the exact same word. So in verse 33, they are confronted by the Lord of the donkey. But in verse 34, he is confronted by the Lord of all. The Lord of the donkey says, what are you doing my donkey? They said, the Lord of all needs your donkey. So here's what we find. That this guy who had been raising this donkey, this guy who had been raising this colt that no man had ever sat on, this guy who's got this donkey, it was not really his donkey. He thought he was the Lord of the donkey, but he really wasn't. The Lord of the donkey was subject to the Lord of all, and he had been raising the donkey on behalf of the Lord of all. And when Jesus said, it's time to give, he gave. It was never his donkey to keep. He was never really the Lord of the donkey. He was just the steward of what God had given him. Now, let me put that in the vernacular of our day. Listen to me. There is going to be a time in your life when Jesus asks you to give. Now, listen to me. If you're a guest, this is not a message on giving. I'm not even going to talk about giving. Does this include giving? Yes. Does it include your tithes and offerings? Yes, it does. That's not what we're talking about. It includes that, but it goes far, far deeper than that. There's going to come a time in your life when God goes deeper than money in your life. And God is asking you to give a witness for him. God is asking you to give a resource for him. God is asking you the most precious thing you have in your life is time. God is saying, I need you to give your time to me. God is asking you to give up a possession. God is asking you to give up a calling in your life. God is asking you to give up energy in life. And here's what you'll discover. When God is asking you to give, get this, here's what you'll discover, that the whole time what you've been given was never really given to you. You are not the Lord of it. Jesus is the Lord of it. And you're just holding as a steward whatever he has given you until God wants you to give it back. And a crossroad decision in your life is this. When it's time to give, do you give? It was never yours to keep. It was only yours to manage until it was time to give. I I can explain this so easily, so easily. You get paid every week or every other week or let's say once a month, whatever you do. You take your paycheck down to the bank and you Give it to the bank, right? Sign your name on it. You give it to them and they take it and they take that number and they put it in your banking account and you give them your check. Now, let's be honest. Are you giving them your check? Yes or no? What do you want them to do with it? Well, you want them to hold it until you want it back. 
If you, if you had saved up $100 and you had a roll of 20s and you went down to the bank and you said, I want to put $100 in my savings account. And they said, sure, uh, Mr. Sutherland, we'll take your $100 in cash and we're going to give you back a worthless piece of paper that has a stamp on it that says you gave us $100. And let's suppose uh, that I gave them $100. They gave me that little deposit slip back. I went back the next week and I said, hey, I want to get my $100 out of the bank. And what if the, what if the teller said to you, whoa, whoa, you gave that to us. That's ours. We took the $100 and we spent it. You would say, and I'm being kind, I didn't give you anything. I gave it to you to hold until I wanted it back. But Mr. Sutherland, we, we have it on video. You came in and handed us $100. You, you gave it to me last week. Listen. I didn't give you anything. I let you hold it until I wanted it back. Now listen, that, that's good preaching right there if you think just for a moment, right? Amen. That's You're going to be at a crossroad one day in your life and really all the time when with God is going to be time to give and what you'll discover is it was never yours. It was never his donkey to hold on to. It was his donkey to, to give. And in this story, a man found out he was not Lord of the donkey. He was just the steward of the donkey. And listen, you can go throughout the Bible and see that. Abraham wasn't the Lord of his future. God was. Gideon wasn't the Lord of his purpose. God was. Job was not the Lord of his treasure. God was. Daniel was not the Lord of his plans. God was. Jonah was not the Lord of his talent. God was. Listen, you go into the Gospels and you got that little boy who had the lunch, remember? Jesus took his lunch and fed 5,000, probably 25,000. That little boy was not even the Lord of his lunch. God was. His mama didn't pack a lunch from him. His mama packed a lunch for Jesus that day. You look at the widow who gave two mites in the Bible. She was not the Lord of her finances. God was the Lord of his finances. Listen to me carefully, church. You are not the Lord of your plans. God is. You are not the Lord of your purposes. God is. You are not the Lord of your talent. God is. You are not the Lord of your finances. God is. You are not the Lord of your future. God is. And there's going to be a time in your life when God says, you've been holding that for me. But now it's time to give. When it's time to give, the only response is to give. So I don't know what the Lord may be asking for in your life. But when God asks, and when he says the Lord has need of it, when it's time to give, it's time to give. The second thing we learn on this triumphal entry number two is when it's time to praise, praise. He said this in verse 40. It's one of the most recognizable verses in the Bible. Jesus answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. They took that colt and they took it to Jesus and the disciples took out their outer garments when it talks about clothes in the New Testament. Most of the time, it's, they wore layers and they were talking about their outer garment. And they had taken their outer garment and they would made kind of a saddle for Jesus. And so Jesus started marching down the Mount of Olives going toward Jerusalem and the people who were with him, thousands of people, began to lay their clothes out on the ground. They would take off their outer garment, lay it on the ground. The other gospels tell us 
that when they ran out of clothes, they cut branches off palm trees and they laid palm trees on, on, on the ground. That's why we call today Palm Sunday. It's the, it's the Sunday before the, the uh, crucifixion weekend and resurrection weekend. And so, so they created what we would call in our day, this will make sense to you. You say, why were they doing that? They were creating a red carpet experience for Jesus as he was marching into Jerusalem, as he was riding into Jerusalem. The Bible says that, that when they got close to Jerusalem, people began to shout and praise God uh, for all that Jesus had done. Like, like in that crowd of thousands of people, there were hundreds of people that Jesus has healed. And when, the, when he began to march in on that red carpet, all of those people, the lame who could now walk, the blind who could now see, the, the ones who, who were withered, who were now whole, the ones who were diseased, who were now well, they, they were overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus. And the Bible says they begin to shout and praise. Praise God. And can I tell you this? There, there were some former dead people in the crowd who now, when Jesus is marching into Jerusalem, they are overwhelmed and they're like, they're like, you know, if you know Southern gospel music, these make good Southern gospel songs, right? You know what I'm talking about? They're like, they were, they were dead and now they're alive and it all broke out. And the Pharisees didn't like it. You do know there's always a contingent of people in the church who just don't like anything, right? You, you know that, right? We'll have any of those here. So if you're looking for a church, we, we are, we are Pharisee-free as far as I know. <laughs> Somebody's always going to get mad at something. And the Pharisees didn't like the attention not being on them. And so they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell your disciples, your followers, to quit praising you. And Jesus said, here's the deal. I would, but if I stop them, here's the deal, Pharisees. This is just that moment in history of eternity that I'm going to get praised and you can't stop it. If I tell my disciples to quit praising God, then, then let me tell you what's going to happen. The rocks are going to rise out and cry out to God, and they're going to praise God. Either way, you lose. God is going to be praised. By heaven or by earth, God is going to be praised. And can I tell you something this morning, church, that Sometimes it's going to be popular to praise God when there are thousands of other people doing it. Sometimes it's not going to be popular when the Pharisees don't like it. But either way, when it is time to praise, it is time to praise. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I'm not getting hyper-spiritual. Here, here's, let me put it in, in words we can understand. Know this. There are times in life when it's easy to be a fan of God. That's what praise is. You're a fan of God. There are times in life when it's easy to be a fan of God. When everything's going well, you say, I don't like the word fan. Well, it means fanatical, and God will take fanatics all day long. Well, when it's, when it's, when it's everything's going well, it's easy to praise God. When you're in church and we all have our hands raised, it's easy to praise God. When life is good, it's easy to praise God. When the bills are paid and there's a positive sign, after all the bills are paid, it is paid, it's easy to praise God. As a matter of fact, I would say, if you're not a fan, then you never will be. But there are times in your life when it's harder to be a fan of God. There are times in your life when you will never theologically question the goodness of God. But you don't see, you don't quite see his goodness towards you. May I say this? Either way, 
God is to be praised. Either way, God is worthy to be praised. Either way, when it's time to praise, it's time to praise. And can I say this? If you don't praise God when things aren't going well, you're not really a fan of God. 1985, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. And along the way, uh, they made fun of their arch enemies, which was the Green Bay Packers. So in 1985, when the Bears won the Super Bowl, during that season, they began to derogatorily refer to Packers fans and any Wisconsin sports fan, the Milwaukee Brewers or, or the Packers, they began to refer to them as cheese heads. Now, I don't want to assume you know why. There's a lot of cheese made in Wisconsin, so that's why they did it. Not, not, no rocket science to it. Um, um, cheese heads. Well, the Packers fans decided to embrace it and they started referring to themselves as cheese heads. In 1987, a guy named Ralph Bruno was cutting up his mother's couch. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I really, I dug around trying to figure out why he's cutting up his mom's couch. I have no idea why. But he cut a triangle out of the couch. And when he cut a triangle out of the cushion in the couch, he noticed it looked like a piece of cheese. So he painted it orangey yellow, cut a hole out for a hat, and wore it to a Milwaukee Brewers game, baseball. And it was a huge success. And so people started asking him to make more cheesehead hats for them. And so he did. He found other couches and cut those up. And I don't know where he, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he did. But he literally formed a company called Fomation. There he is. That, is. that is his mama's couch right there. That's all that is. He formed a company called Fomation that now, and I quote, sells cheese-related products. No, he sells foam-related products painted to look like cheese. I mean, they're top hats over here, if you want to wear them. And here's what I love about this story. Is that fandom, that fanaticism was born when things were not going well. Here's what we know about Packers fans. They're fanatical even when the Packers lose. We could learn a little lesson from some fans up north because here's the truth. We have a tendency to be a fan of God when everything is easy. When everybody feels well, when the bills are paid, when there's money in the bank, when the weather's good, when it's all, the job is great, and the wife is not angry, and the husband is not lazy, and the kids are not yelling, man, we love God. And it's easy to praise him and brag on Jesus and tell other people, but, but, you're going to find yourself at a crossroads sometimes in your life, and you know what's going to happen? Man, I've been there. I was telling my oldest daughter this week when we were in the hospital, I said, there have been times in our life that I was absolutely angry with God. And it's in those times of your life that we find it a little more difficult. But listen, you're going to be at a crossroad in your life with an opportunity to praise God in front of others, to be a fan of God in front of others. And when it's time to praise, praise. That means when things are going great, 
be a fan. But when life is hard, be a fan. When there's money in the bank, be a fan. When there's no money in the bank, be a fan. When everybody's well, be a fan. But when they're in the hospital, be a fan as well. You're not really a fan if you're only praising God in the good times. Can I tell you something? Somebody's listening. And they need to know if your Christianity is real. They're listening to your faith in the good times, but listen, they are riveted to your faith in the bad times. And as Christians, we tend to fall apart at the same rate at which unbelievers fall apart. And they look at our lives and wonder, well, what what do they have I don't? When it's time to praise, praise. Third thing I want to show you is this, when it's time to change, change. Verse 41 says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Let me tell you, we end with two stories, and I'm, I'm finished in just a moment. We end with two stories. One story was Jesus pulled up on a mountaintop and looked down at Jerusalem, and the Bible says that he wept over Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jesus said, Jerusalem, now was your time. It is your time to repent. The Messiah is coming to you. It is your time to repent, and you didn't change. And then he goes down into the temple where the height of debauchery was. And the Bible says he began overthrowing money changers. Now, quickly, let me tell you the story. Here's here's what happened. You know, uh, adult males were required to go to the temple three times a year to offer sacrifices. And you know, the Bible says you had to bring a perfect sacrifice. So this, this guy would raise a lamb or whatever animal it may have been. He'd raise it. He had went through multiple ones until he had found a spotless lamb. He would bring it to the temple. And there were four places in the temple where you could buy and sell uh, uh, animals. And he would bring his to, as a sacrifice. And the corrupt priest would say, your sacrifice is not spotless. And the guy would say, well, it is spotless. Look. And they would make up something on it that was wrong. They would take his lamb from him and say, we'll take your lamb on a trade-in, but you got to go buy another lamb. And so he'd get in line to buy another lamb. And they were charging exorbitant prices. It was literally highway robbery. But he had to do it. It was law. And so the chief priests were lining their pockets with cash. People would say, all right, I'm not going to bring one of my animals next year. So they'd go get in line and they would pay exorbitant extortion prices for livestock. And the priests would take the animal you brought that they said wasn't worthy. They'd put, it, they'd put it in the pen and turn around and sell it to somebody else at an exorbitant price. It was just a scam. They were changing money in the temple and they were charging unbelievable exchange rates. And just it, it, and so when Jesus walks in the temple and he said, you've turned my house that's supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of thieves. And the Bible says he started flipping tables over. Sometimes in Baptist churches we think, well, you're not allowed to sell anything in church. That's not what that passage means. That passage is saying they were ripping people off. It had nothing to do with God or, or, or faith. It was just making the chief priest wealthy. And so Jesus flipped the table over and he said, it's time things changed. One sin made Jesus weep. One sin made Jesus angry. Now, listen carefully. There are times in your life when you're going to need to change. It's true for me. It's true for you. There's sin in your life. You need to change. There's a habit in your life you need to get rid of. You need to change. There's a relationship that you're involved in, you shouldn't be involved in, you need to change. There's an attitude you've got 
you need to change. There's a lack of commitment, you need to change. There's a discipline you need to employ, you need to change. And here's the truth. Here's what we learn. When it's time to change, it's time to change. Here's the interesting thing. If you're wrong with God, he weeps. If you're wrong with others, he gets a little angry. And the Bible word for change is repent. And God is saying when it's time to change, change. You don't want you don't want God sad. You don't want God angry. When it's time to change, it's time to change. How many of you recognize this picture? What, you know what game that's from? Monopoly. How many of you like playing Monopoly? Let me see your hand. Ugh. It takes forever. My wife loves playing that game. I, it takes forever to play. And uh, I usually try to cheat so I can uh, just, I don't cheat towards me. I shovel her money to end the game as quickly as I can, but. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was invented in 1906. It was originally called something like the landlord game. And you, you had all these pieces. It got really famous during the Great Depression. It was supposed to teach people how to handle money and stuff like that. It didn't really serve its purpose well, but um, it's just a fascinating game. And you, you know Monopoly. You, you get to choose from game pieces. But here's the cool thing about Monopoly is over the years, they don't mind changing at all. As a matter of fact, over the years, they have gotten rid of the iron, a horse, and the rider. And guess, you know what the latest piece to bite the dust was? The thimble. It's gone. Come on. Most of y'all don't know what a thimble is anyway. <laughs> and so last year they let people vote on what to replace the thimble with. And, uh, and, and like there were, they were replacing three pieces and there were things you could vote on like cell phone, computer, even a jet. All that made sense to me. You know what we replaced it with? And we did it. A rubber ducky. A T-Rex and a penguin. Because penguins are much more in my life than an, you know, a thimble was. A rubber ducky, a T-Rex, and a penguin. I mean, I get it if it was like the penguin off Batman, but it's just a penguin. <laughs> it's a penguin. But here's what I applaud Monopoly for. They're trying to keep up with the times. When it's time to change, it's time to change. When the thimble's got to go, the thimble's got to go. I'm starting a campaign to get rid of the cat right now. I'm trying to get rid of the, no, no cats allowed. I'm allergic. And so um, when it's time to change, it's time to change. And if Monopoly can, so can you. God calls that change repentance, and it's time to get rid of whatever it is. Close your Bibles. I'm finished. For some of you, it's a sin in your life, and it's time to change. For some, it's a habit, and it's time to change. For some, it's a hindrance, it's time to change. For some, you need to add a discipline. It's not all negative. It can be positive. It's time to change. For some of you, you need to get committed to church. It's time to change. For some of you, you need to be more loving at home. It's time to change. For some of you, you need to care about people more. It's time to change. For some, it's an attitude. It's time to change. All I'm saying is that when it's time to change, change. And I'll finish with this. 
Don't wait until God has to start flipping tables over in your life before you're ready to change. God will speak to your heart. God will draw you. God will drop hints. But eventually, he'll start flipping tables over in your life to get your attention. Because when it's time to change, it's time to change. He went into the money changers. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? Flip tables over. He didn't ask for permission. He just did it. He said, it's a little rude. Ah, it's his house. It's time to change. And you're here today and it's your time. It's your time to give. God's calling you to give something to him. It may be a talent. It may be a resource. It may be time. It may be energy. Maybe you felt led to serve God at church somewhere along the way and you've made every excuse for not doing it. No, no. It's time, when it's time to give, it's time to give. Maybe it is that it's time to pray. Listen, I get it, man. It's been a hard week on us. We've been in the hospital since Tuesday. It, it, was, it was a scary, like, it's been scary this week. It still, it was last night even. Like, I get it. But even when things aren't great, people are watching. People are listening. And when it's time to praise, it's time to praise. And when it's time to change. Don't put it off. If you're here today and don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, when it's time to change that, listen, it is time to change it. God loved you enough to give his life for you so that if you were the only person who was lost, he would have died for you. So it's time to change and turn to God. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed, your eyes closed? If you're here today and don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, it's as simple as A, B, C, A, admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you'd like to do that today, our staff is standing here at the front. Just walk down the aisle, take one of those guys by the hand and say, I'd like to be saved today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.